At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Authenticity, in my opinion, is really tied to the power that we feel within ourselves. The more authentic you feel you are living, the more empowered you feel to do what you need to do in life. And when it came to breast cancer, the whole experience early on, it really feels like your identity is being ripped away from you. What was my line? Do I say this is okay, podcast? Oh. <laughs> okay, try this again. Hi, I'm Sheetal. And I'm Farheen. Every other week, we host a Smiley's with unique stories to tell. Welcome to Podvocative. Hello, and welcome back after a long, long, long time. We couldn't be more thrilled to be back. We know we took a long break. And for all of you that are here listening right now after so long, thank you. And we appreciate you so much. This is a very special episode to us. One, because of the context of the episode and everything we talk about and how amazing the guest is. But also, this was our first in-person recording, which was phenomenal to get to experience that with our guest. She lives really close to the city. And so because we were all vaccinated, we were able to meet up in the city together. And we met up in the Podvocative recording studio, which uh, was my kitchen. (laughs) And we got to have an incredible conversation. Because we were in New York City, you may hear some sounds of the city, including my fire alarm going off. But we did what we could, and our guest was absolutely incredible, and she is just a star, and we can't wait to talk about her more. But before we do that, we have an exciting question. Yes, um, I thought because Sonia is born and raised in the city, it would only be right to ask a fun trivia fact about New York City. So I already know the answer, but Farheen and all of our listeners as well can guess. How many miles of subway track do you think run throughout New York City? Let's try to see if you're within the ballpark of like 25 plus or minus, then we'll consider that very close. 
This is a good question. I know it's in the hundreds. I, or I, I think I know that. I'm going to guess 440. So what's your final answer? I'm going to say 440. If any of our guests listening got closer, let us know who you are. Yes, please let us know. Okay, so the right answer is, drum roll, 722. Okay, so I wasn't close. I was not close at all. But, oh, my God, that's a lot. Yeah, that's a lot. That's a lot considering all of Manhattan is, what, like 14 miles or something? I wonder if Sonia knew that. We'll have to ask her. Speaking of Sonia, she got diagnosed with breast cancer at a very young age. She didn't have anyone really in her family or in her close vicinity uh, that had experienced something similar. So she really fought through this on her own. She had a lot of support from her family, and she talks to us about how treatment was, the impact that it had on her life, things that she did to get her through that time, and how she's come out stronger. Now she's pivoted her career and her life purpose. Um, So she is incredible. She is phenomenal. And I'm so excited for all of you to get to know her story and get to know her as well. We both learned so much from her. I think our listeners will learn so much from her. And just really quick for anyone who is not Ismaili or not familiar, Ismailis follow a spiritual leader called an imam. And when an imam visits Ismailis and does, you know, a visit and gives prayers and makes a speech and things of that nature, that's called a didar. And so you'll hear Sonia in this episode talk about attending a didar and seeing an imam and listening to a firman. A firman is essentially a speech or words of wisdom or prayers offered by the imam to Ismailis. And so just some background before we dive in. We won't keep y'all from it any longer. So enjoy. You'll hear from us in a bit. Hi, Sonia. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for making the trek out from Connecticut. We're so happy that you're here. So let's start out by you telling us just who you are, where you're from, where you live. And then our fun question is going to be, what's something that will always be in fashion no matter how much time passes? Mm, I wonder what my answer could be for that. (laughs) (laughs) So my name is Sonia Keshwani. I am a born and raised New Yorker. Um, I recently got married and moved out to Greenwich, Connecticut, so that's been a really wonderful new journey in my life, but I love being home, being in the city, and this is my hometown, so. Nice, and then a piece of clothing or accessory that'll never go out of stock. Who wants to do the drum roll? Um, (laughs) So I truly think, and this is not just self-promotional here, I truly think turbans will never go out of style because if you think about it, they're such a classic fashion item that have been around for a very long time but got very popular in the 50s and have since come back numerous times on the runway and of course now with style esteem the goal is that turbans should be fashionable turbans should be accessories it shouldn't have anything to do with the state of your hair or lack thereof so i think for that reason turbans will always be around All right. So thank you so much. Tell us your story. So you're here right now because you have a story to tell and it's October and we want to tell your story. So can you tell us just like a little overview of why you're here today and the story that you're going to share? My story is one that would seem unique, but I suspect is more common than you might think. And that's why I'm here because it's Breast Cancer Awareness Month and I really can't think of a better time than to get our community informed and excited to 
learn about breast health and to take better care of their bodies and to be more aware of the state of their health. Being a young survivor of breast cancer who was diagnosed at age 29, where I found my tumor through a self-breast exam, uh, completely by accident, actually. Um, I cannot overstate the power of being aware of your health and how that can impact the longevity of your life and the quality of your life. And so uh, that's something that I am excited to get into and that I look forward to sharing. Beautiful. Hey, okay. Um, so diving into that a little more, can you tell us when exactly you were diagnosed what age were you where did you find out how were you feeling all of that so my breast cancer journey started when i was 29 years old um i found my tumor through a self-breast exam in the shower um which i'll admit i was doing sort of haphazardly i wasn't really looking for something in particular but i certainly found something that was unusual it didn't feel right that there was uh something that felt like a cyst because I have never had that before. And even though cysts are very common in young women, they weren't common for me. So that was the sort of the start of it. I found out when I was actually in Atlanta for Diamond Jubilee Didar. This was literally the day before my ticketed day for Didar. And I was feeling, um, as I think we all were at that point, a lot of different emotions, a lot of hope and excitement and anticipation and here all of a sudden you have is like a very random almost like a freak occurrence in my opinion finding out at that point in time and in that manner um and really it just i had to always keep that balance in my mind that you know this is an ongoing plot line in my life but there are other things that have so much value like that spiritual aspect, like that aspect of being with your family, things that will definitely, if you lean on it, will pull you through those tough times. So thank you for setting the scene. So you are 29 years old. You're in Atlanta for Dudar. You're doing a quick self-examination and you feel something weird. What are your immediate next steps? So I think like any person in today's day and age, the first thing you do, what is it that you do? You pull out your phone and you consult Dr. Google. (laughs) So that's what I did. And that's why it's, you know, I was kind of looking for a confirmation bias situation where I wanted to be validated that this is nothing because it was in fact, didn't feel like a tumor, wasn't, wasn't hard, wasn't flat. And given my age, given the lack of family history, given that young women have dense breasts that develop cysts. I was hoping that that would not be something that would turn out in the negative. Nonetheless, my parents were arriving from New York that day. I had already flown in from D.C. I was spending time with family. My parents arrived from New York, and I immediately uh, told my mom that I found something that was alarming. And she, at the time, was actually working with Dr. Kwaja, who's an oncologist and uh, former Muki of uh, Long Island Kane. And so she basically, you know, also kind of took a look. And basically, we decided that we're going to try to keep a cool head until we get to see Dr. Kwaja, because he was also going to be in town. So we basically, you know, put a pin in it for that night, because the next morning we were getting up at the crack of dawn to get ready in our best attire for Didar. That's what we did. We got up, we got dressed, we went down to the Didar Hall and pretty much until the time came to sit down and stay in our seats, we were kind of straining our necks, looking for Dr. Kwaja in his white coat, hopefully trying to spot him. And, you know, it just it just didn't happen. Um, and we weren't able to connect with him before Didar. 
But after the dar, um, you know, sitting there that it, for that entire ceremony, listening to all the guidances and all the firmans and uh, all the prayers, and it really, you know, I think was the transition into what was going to be the next part of the day, which is immediately crossing paths with Dr. Kwaja, who you know, was super kind and comforting and calm and giving me, you know, an on-the-spot breast exam with a curtain, you know, pulled around in one of those, like, medical stations that we had so many of in, in that hall. Um, and basically telling me, you know, everything what I just told you, which is you have no family history, you're very young, women tend to have d- dense breasts that develop cysts. So I wouldn't lose any sleep over it, but I will refer you for an ultrasound. And that was kind of <clears throat> where where I left it. And I had to just, you know, continue on and know that, okay, the next step is coming, but I need to sort of keep it together until that next step does arrive. Uh, you sound so like calm, collected during the, that whole day. I feel like I wouldn't have been able to keep my cool. How did you talk yourself into remaining like calm? Was it the strength of just the whole event keeping you there having your family nearby like what was your support during that time so in in my particular case i can definitively say that i had been working on my mental health for a number of months up until i got to that point so i was actually in a strong place because i was actively working on letting go of past trauma healing from things that had happened in my past that you know you take on the burden of the negativity of certain things that happened in your life but you know you couldn't help it so I was actually healing at that time and in a good place and then that combined with the spiritual experience of Didar I felt like I was on cloud nine and really I, I felt protected I felt encapsulated in that experience where you know if something was happening to me I kind of on the early end of it decided that I would have to really really try to understand why not why me but why this you know, there, there are so many unique things that have happened in my life from being one of the few and the first in my particular position in the government working in national security, being the first in my immediate family to get a college education, to earn a master's degree. All of these things were firsts. And if this was going to be another first, I had to make sense of it. And I kind of let that be my focus, not in a way where, you know, you ask why me, where you're sort of down on yourself, which of course happens. I'm not saying I'm perfect. That happened quite a lot, but I always had to end those trains of thought with looking for something deeper within the experience. Your resilience is showing and your strength is showing. And I'm so appreciative that you're here talking to us. You just talked about like the the spiritual, like enlightenment, the spiritual connection that you're feeling at the Dar and that like you're feeling on cloud nine. And then obviously you find out that you did have breast cancer um, and that's what you were feeling when you were in Atlanta. Did that like cloud your memory of Didar? Did that like make you question your spirituality or your religion or, you know, the fact that like this sort of kind of like life changing news came to you while you were getting ready to go through that and see Hazri mom and be a part of this spiritual journey, but you're kind of dealing with this thing on the side. That's a great question. And I think something you'll notice in in a lot of how I talk about my journey is choosing your perspective, uh, because that 
is really um, something that everyone has the power to do. Whether or not you're aware of it now, whether or not you feel you have the power to do it now, it is within your control to choose how you will look at something and how you will feel about something. For me, I choose to look at it as this horrible thing that could have happened to me at any time up until that point where I was dealing with a number of things. I felt out of control or I felt like happiness is not meant for me in the way that it is meant for other people and I wish I was happy in X, Y, or Z way. I was actually learning to be happy in my own way and I was learning to sort of step into that self-acceptance at that point. And that is, I think, the best point that it could have happened to me at. I I just, I firmly believe that if it had happened at any other point, you might have hear me talking about it differently. So now you've left the Dar. What happens next? So after the Dar, I went up to New York and had an ultrasound done. And um, basically, that was a few weeks after Atlanta. And I came back to D.C., went on with normal life. Um, the ultrasound came back saying that there is something suspicious and that further testing would need to be done because you cannot find out that you have cancer through only an ultrasound. So I went back to New York, had a biopsy done, came back to D.C. that very same day, thinking it would be okay to like travel and go back to work. And it was really a struggle because, you know, if you've if you've never had this kind of a procedure done, you just you're kind of in shock because it is actually quite painful. The next week I was traveling to Canada for the Diamond Jubilee Heritage trip. And so I did that. Um, had a great time. And the day that I got back, my parents came up to DC with my sister and broke the news to me that, you know, your biopsy came back confirming that you have breast cancer and that you need to come to New York immediately to figure out what your treatment plan will be. So that same day, I called my work and I informed them that, you know, this, the testing that I had done had come back positive and I need to leave now and I will be back when I'm back. And so I packed a suitcase and we all went to New York. And that same day that we arrived uh, here in the city, we went straight to my um, now cancer surgeon's office and had a consult with him. And he just had this amazingly sweet and comforting um, manner about him, which is not surprising because he has tons of awards on his wall confirming that he's like the nicest doctor in New York year after year. And basically he told me the steps that we would take and that based on, um, you know, based on my situation, we would do genetic testing uh, based on the result of the tumor, which was a triple positive hormone positive tumor. You know, you would stop eating, um, you know, dairy, sugar and, and red meat for some time and so forth. So it was a very preliminary meeting, but it basically got me in the mindset of, okay, this is serious and everything will shift its focus to this uh, for the foreseeable future. Uh, can you tell us about how do you find out what your treatment would look like? How was that experience and how long did that last? We went from one appointment to the next to the next. I mean, it was just back to back to back. Some days, you know, three, four appointments, testing, blood work, like all the things. And basically that was, I think, the hardest part in the beginning because I began to feel dehumanized. I began to feel like I was just a Petri dish or just a body in a chair. And so I got very lucky that I had uh, Dr. Manolas, Dr. Kwaja, and Dr. Nima Patel. And basically, I went through six rounds of chemotherapy. I would go in for treatment. Every three weeks, I would travel from D.C. to New York to go to Mount Sinai and Astoria, Queens. And each treatment, uh, the recovery was less and less. So the first time I recovered completely within a few days, 
the next time it took a few days longer and so on and so on until it just was like symptoms were constant you know fatigue nausea extreme nausea lack of taste to name a few and to keep it like likes and so I had six rounds of chemo. Each time I would go, I would be in the chair for six hours. I would just have bag after bag of chemo pumped into me. And then I would go home and just try to like tune everything out. I remember the cab rides home would be the hardest because I knew what was about to happen in the next few days. So those were kind of the the times that were toughest. But I also knew that it was going to come. I knew what I knew that it was expected that that would happen. So I tried to rally myself each time and I had multiple surgeries after chemo was done. And then I also had one year of infusions, uh, chemo infusions, which is kind of a blessing and a curse because, um, you know, no one wants to be in treatment for a whole year. But given that my tumor was a hormone positive tumor, I had options that allowed me to decrease my chances of recurrence by staying in treatment for a year. So that was kind of the the whole journey. And then also, you know, I continue to take daily medication and uh, every few months I go in to take an anti-hormone shot. So it continues to today, but that's kind of the long journey that I had. Just hearing your story is one, like making me super emotional. I mean, just hearing you talk about like just leaving and going home and knowing what's to come after you get your treatment. I think setting the scene there is really powerful. So I want to take like a quick step back and just understand like so your family drives down to dc to tell you that you know it came back as positive and you have cancer and like what is everyone feeling first of all like what are your parents feeling like who is the most calm who's stressing out and then in addition to that how do you even begin to tell people in your network that like i know you told work you have to go and this is something you have to go deal with but like your friends your other family like How are you telling people and how is everyone taking it? So to this day, I don't feel I've seen the clear picture of how my parents, you know, feel about all this. I know how they feel about all this and I can only imagine as well how they feel, but they've put on such a brave and strong front for me. And there have often been times where I have to tell them to not worry so much about me because I know that I know I've got this. That's been our dynamic. I mean, it's support is not a one way street. You know, caregivers go through a lot when they are um, looking after their loved ones. And I know my parents, um, you know, my life was completely turned upside down, but so was theirs, you know, so was theirs. And not to mention my sister who was 10 9 or 10 at the time and she was in school and to her this was completely crazy like she you know she goes from having a normal life to having everything in her life revolve around my comings and goings and how I'm feeling that day and you know can she bring her friends over or you know is mom going to be there or is mom going to be at the infusion center and so on that was tough i mean it was it was really tough on everyone and you know i think we kind of took strength from each other you know we kind of compensated for each other's vulnerabilities and and downturns and so forth but as far as telling anyone else i have to say i didn't tell many people at all i decided that this was such a like shocking experience for me that i didn't have time to tell anyone i didn't have the need to tell anyone i wanted to deal with this on my own and i wanted to internalize everything so i can work on those things that i mentioned which is understanding why this is happening understanding what is going to come from this and i realized you know when you tell people about this kind of experience in your life all they want to do is they want to know more and they want to help and they want to sort of like be a presence and that's great but i just i didn't feel that i had what it took to be in that type of interaction especially as the side effects set in from each 
progressive chemo treatment. It was tough to even pick up the phone and respond to a text message. And so the only people I really told was like a few very key friends in D.C., um, a number of whom uh, were really amazing about coming in and looking in on my cat when I traveled every three weeks because she's like, she's a rescue. Her name is Lady Gaga. You know, she really requires human company. And so having friends kind of coming in and looking in on her and keeping an eye on my place was honestly the biggest help ever. It just took such a load off my mind. Um, and there's a few people who, who know who they are um, who helped me with that. That was so beautifully said that, you know, like it's so much on the caregiver too. I feel like we often forget that part. So um, I love that you said, you know, your family shared the strengths and looked towards each other for that. Um, So that was really nice that you had that. So now moving forward, after you were done with treatments, what was the next step of, okay, how do I even begin to like move forward from this? Moving forward from active treatment is the hardest part of the entire thing anything prior to that i would say chemo is the toughest part for me but what happens afterward is such a gray area no one can prepare you for it because there is no way to prepare a person for it there's so much uncertainty and anxiety that comes with being done with active treatment because if you think about it when you're getting treated you're you have active medicine in your body and you know that you know the cancer is being dealt with now when you're done with treatment all you can think about is, hmm, what if there's something in my body and I'm not having medicine? You know, what then? And then like, oh, I'm not seeing my doctor every three weeks. Now they want to see me every other month or every three months or every six months, you know? Um, and I have to say, I, I, I managed to wiggle my way into Dr. Quadra's schedule about every other month because that's my comfort level. So there's a lot that goes into it from the anticlimactic experience of like, post-treatment and that is something that you mentally really have to just work through you have to sort of understand that this is you know everything is in a phase and at this point I'm not in active treatment I mean I am taking medications regularly but my job is not to go to the infusion center my job is to take good care of my body to work on my diet to exercise more and those are the things that I have to focus in on and I have to say like that whole space of anxiety you deal with it a lot better when you have something to inspire you for a lot of people it's their kids for some other people it's the idea that they have this second lease on life and they can go travel or pursue a a degree for me it's definitely my business and the ability to you know tell my story and hopefully inform other women who are you know in my shoes and survivorship is so tough um it's a very long road from now till the end whenever that comes and that is something that you have to really just mentally work on each day we just heard you talk about this your business and you know something i wanted to ask you was like how did you know your diagnosis and your treatment and going through everything you went through how did that impact how you lived the rest of your life you know a lot of people like you said they they think of it as like a second lease and they um they live completely differently than they maybe before had and so would love to hear like one how that changed and of course i'm assuming your business was a part of that so would love for if you could introduce that to us being diagnosed with breast cancer as i think we've talked about throughout this interview had really highlighted for me the impact of choices and so the experience of treatment and diagnosis and all this basically made me unafraid to make choices right a lot of times we're kind of put into this position where like oh I'm expected to do this I'm expected to have 
this degree, I'm expected to work here, I'm expected to marry at this age, expected to have kids, all this type of stuff. And I just felt like, you know, this is my life. I have to make the choices that make me happy because at the end of the day, when my life is towards its end, my satisfaction is the only thing that I'm going to go with. That journey basically taught me, you know, if if you're not respected and loved and, and uplifted in a relationship, don't be in that relationship. If your job is causing causing you to question sort of the ethical impact of of what's happening in the world consider what your alternatives are consider doing something that does make you happy something that you are proud of life doesn't end when you take a step back from your current path you just find a new path that's what it is you know that mentality led me to where i am today uh, because the idea of making choices came into play very early on when i lost my hair to chemo I decided that I was going to choose to shave my head because the symptoms and the side effects from hair loss are quite painful and and no one talks about this but you go through you know a lot of migraines bruising painful uh, sensations in your follicles just because your hair follicles are like literally dying off and so I chose to get my head shaved. At Parker our purpose is simple we want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Um, I had a happened to have a photo shoot that day and I didn't tell anyone that I was going to shave my head afterwards. So I go to this photo shoot, I'm dressed up, I'm doing pictures with all, you know, other normal girls. And then I leave and I go get my head shaved um, at a place uh, in the city called The Hair Place. My family came into the city and, you know, I had my head shaved and scalp massage and, my, you know, scalp wash. And it was just like, it felt so freeing to make that choice to unburden myself of those hair loss side effects. And so that kind of encouraged me to make the next choice, which is, hmm, I have a wig and I'm wearing it, but this is not at all helping me out in my quality of life, in my feeling of authenticity. Wearing the wig that I had gotten um, only made my side effects worse because the wig was like very scratchy and hot and uncomfortable. Um, And also I'd kind of decided to experiment and get a blonde bob cut wig and that kind of felt fun initially, but then I just felt inauthentic afterwards. 
So the next choice I made was the choice to find an alternative to my weight. That led me to look at other alternatives. And basically, I couldn't find anything that was fashionable in the way that you might see on a runway in the early 2000s available for purchase. Everything that I found was pretty much like a chemo beanie that made me look and feel like a sick person. And so at that point, I decided that I would have to try to make my own solution to this problem. And basically, each time I would go to the infusion center in Astoria, I would go a couple of blocks down afterwards and do some fabric shopping because there was this mom and pop fabric store. And each time I would go, I would just pick out a few yards of a couple of different patterns and I would bring it home. And when I was recovering for that one week after treatment, I would work from home because I still had my job in DC. And when I was taking a break, experiment with the sewing machine. And I ended up coming up with these turban styles that really changed my quality of life because it allowed me to dress up in the morning and like coordinate my headwear with my outfits and also just be very comfortable throughout the day. I was able to start, you know, doing the small things in life, like going for walks in the park or going to a movie, things that kind of make you feel like a normal human being uh, without having to worry about being uncomfortable because of the wig or worrying about some kind of a weird wardrobe malfunction with like a scarf unraveling or a wig just like being lopsided and, you you know, you don't even know that that's happening on your head. Um, So it really changed my life to have those fashionable options. I think that's awesome that you found a need and you were empowered by yourself to create whatever felt the best to you. That's so awesome. Can you touch on, so you talked about authenticity. What did that mean to you? You wanted to make sure like you were feeling comfortable in your own skin, but like why was being authentic one um, very important to you and then two wearing um, what you made how did that empower you to like now live your life so authenticity in my opinion is really tied to the power that we feel within ourselves the more authentic you feel you are living the more empowered you feel to do what you need to do in life. And when it came to breast cancer, the whole experience early on, it really feels like your identity is being ripped away from you. You know, your health to your look to your femininity and everything in between. You really feel like you're losing yourself in the process. And being able to find something that embodies who you are in a fashion item is something that is really powerful because it's like, you know, you put this item on and you're putting on a cape. You're like a superhero and you're going to go fight cancer now. And so that's how I kind of looked at it is like, you know, anytime I wear a turban, it's like a different cape and I'm just going to go, I'm going to just slay cancer at this point. And that's my, that's my main job. And so that feeling of authenticity really helped me believe in myself. It helped me feel confident in my ability to take on what was ahead of me, whether it was like a day of treatment or doctor's appointments or planning for surgery it just made me feel like I've got this one I love that I love that this was you know made you feel like powerful made you feel like you could do anything that did fashion always play that role in your life or was this something that was new did you always lean towards fashion to express who you who you felt you were and who you were fashion has been in my life for a very long time growing up in New York City I just I always loved to take in all the fashion in the city And the obsession had gotten to a point where I thought I was going to be a fashion designer. And when it came time to sort of start looking at colleges, I really, I was like, okay, I'm going to go be an haute couture designer. And 
that's my calling in life. And my parents were basically like, look, you know, you can you can do that if that's what you want, but you need to go get a solid degree first. And uh, after you get your degree, you know, you can treat that as your fallback and you can go do fashion. But at that point, I had, you know, I had to choose what else am I interested in. And uh, growing up again in New York, having experienced 9-11 as a Muslim, I really was felt passionately about um, diversity in the government and being able to sort of be uh, a face of our community in that space. I pursued international affairs. I went to D.C. I ended up in the you know government for almost 10 years when cancer happened. And this kind of sort of redirected me into my childhood dream. So that's you know, and, and at this point, we just um, recently came out with our couture line. So couture turbans are like kind of the full circle for me uh, on that childhood dream. I am speechless. I think your whole story of resilience and of positivity is so incredibly inspirational. I would just love to hear a little bit more about your business and about, you know, how you started it, where it's going, what it's called, who you're working with and what your aspirations are for the future of it. So a big inspiration for my business was to create a place where women can shop for turbans by season and by occasion. And this is because as as women, we don't wear the same black dress again and again. We don't wear the same shoes again and again. We want to dress for the seasons. We want to be appropriate for the occasion. And for a lot of us, hair you know, hair loss is when your hair is falling out. But really, for me, it's that hair journey. It's the second you find out you have cancer, whether it's breast cancer or another type of cancer. And it kind of ends when you are comfortable enough in your hair to go out without any sort of um, covering or reservation about how you look. And so that hair journey can last a very long time. It can last months, if not seasons, if not years. And so having those options for women was something that was really important to me. So you can feel confident to do what you want to do in your life, no matter where you are in your hair journey. And a big part of um, sort of the, the mission of Stylistim is also inspired through our faith, which is giving back and being in service. And Uh, That's why we actually give back one turban for each turban sold. And so being able to, you know, impact the lives of women in this small way is, I hope, something that will actually have lasting effect throughout that period of hair loss and treatment. Since we launched in 2019... Uh, We've been on a number of of runways, which has been really exciting. At New York Fashion Week, we partnered up with Anna Ono for a fashion show that benefited Metaviver, which is a nonprofit that is completely dedicated to stage four breast cancer research, which is very important because stage four breast cancer is the only breast cancer that kills. And so being able to be part of that movement uh, early on was really meaningful. And then, you know, since then, I've actually walked on the runway as well, wearing my own turbans, um, I walked on the runway uh, for Runway to the Cure Reston, um, which was also another fundraiser, um, you know, fashion show. And so that was really amazing to kind of go from wanting to have fashion in my life to creating something that was um, something that was very personal to having it be on a stage where you know, it's getting that validation of not only is this a runway worthy item, but also cancer patients are runway worthy. So that was something that was just awesome to experience. So all of the turbans that we sell at Stylistim are designed to make your life easier in that they are slip on and go kind of turbans. They don't require any tying or wrapping of any sort. 
you just slip it on and you know you can move on with your day um all of the turbans are one size fit most and you know there's so much variety in terms of materials and um different designs and different features because um you know it it depends on what you want in your life do you want a cozy lounge turban or do you want something that is hair healthy with a satin lining or do you want something for a holiday party um there's really something for everyone and that was kind of the goal i i wanted um women of all different styles to come and to find something that they can connect with uh because our hair is so personal to us and so if you're wearing a turban that kind of you know takes on the place of your hair and and your connection to your hair as well the lessons i've learned is that you know the the fashion aspect of hair loss is definitely something that we're the first to address for cancer patients but also there's a major self-care component to caring for your scalp during hair loss as well as your hair during regrowth and that's something we've really been working on trying to address because I'm a big believer in just because you don't have hair doesn't mean that you know you can't exercise self-care and take care of your yourself in the way that you might have if you did have hair. And so addressing those concerns and giving those points of action to patients who are new to the game is really important to me and I'm hoping that in in the coming years we can do that a lot more. We can connect with a lot more people and empower them with knowledge about how to deal with side effects and how to best take care of their hair and scalp throughout their hair journey. What I can reveal now is that we're looking to get into more um functional turbans where we're addressing specific needs that patients might have and um, of course creating the couture turbans we're going to keep that going and come out with um, new styles uh, within each season that embody that season and all of these items you can find them um, you can find them on our website at stylisteam.com awesome well first congratulations on this this is so incredible to you know share something that was so intimate and so personal for you during your time now you're sharing it widely and it's so well received and accepted and loved um, that's so beautiful. Uh, so I have a couple of questions for you. So one, were there or are there any unexpected parts of going through this journey? Because you're you're in it with uh, the people that are wearing your turbans. You know, do they share their story with you? Has it been an emotional experience? And then, where do you pull your inspiration for the designs? Does it just come to you? Do you find it in other patients and friends and your family? Where does it come from? I would say all of the really amazing things that have happened from this business were all kind of unexpected, right? Because if you're going in with a fresh canvas and you're creating something, everything that is happening is is a learning experience and something that can either be a lesson or just be a really amazing reward and one of the biggest rewards is when i see other cancer patients posting maybe a photo on instagram of them in their infusion chair wearing one of my turbans and having a smile on their face that's i think i think i still remember the first time someone tagged my business in a treatment photo and i was just like what like this is amazing this is like the biggest validation ever that what i'm doing is the the right thing to do and that i need to keep on that path that was really uh that was really awesome and to see that is i think one of the biggest rewards and then to hear the stories of you know how the turbans have 
positively impacted the patient's lives where, you know, someone will say, okay, well, you know, I, I just felt more confident. I felt more vibrant having a colorful turban with this pretty pattern or, you know, I felt great like going out on a date night with my husband because I had something that was appropriate to wear. That's really the, the best part is being able to hear how, you know, this helps make people feel normal again. As far as the inspiration goes, I, I'm definitely inspired by the classic and vintage fashion of icons like Grace Kelly and Audrey Hepburn because their styles of turbans that they wore are timeless. They're, they're items that look good on just about everybody. Um, they're complementary to all face shapes and sizes. Um, and, you know, having those sort of elegant um, and dignified patterns and colors, something that anyone would feel comfortable wearing is, is kind of the first step. And then after that, it's like embodying different aspects of how you feel on the inside and how you feel on the inside at different you know, different occasions. Like there's one turban, which is like a black turban with a gold sequin print. And it's called life of the party because you can be the life of your own party. You are worthy of celebrating and you can wear a turban that helps you feel like you can do that. And so those moments of emotion are, I think what inspires me the most because those turban names are very personal to me. I pick out every single name myself and then most recently with the couture collection, um, those I hand make myself and uh, the inspiration is pulled from, you know, any given thing that I might be experiencing. So, so far um, we have the summer couture collection, which is three hand dyed um, styles with a hand beaded flower made of wood beads and the three colors that they're available in pink, green and black represent a number of the things I saw when I was on my honeymoon in Hawaii. So the hibiscus flower, the black sand beach, and the Hawaiian turtles. Those are the three things that kind of stood out to me the most. I wanted to create a turban that embodied that. The fall turban for the couture collection that we have, which I'm wearing right now, embodies just like the very many colors and facets of change and how, you know, that can actually paint a very beautiful picture. And so those emotions, I think, inspire me the most. And then the style kind of comes after that. You guys will see pictures and videos. The turban that she has on right now is stunning. You mentioned your honeymoon. Congratulations. So going into a relationship, um, well, first of all, how did you and your husband meet? All of that. Um, But then at what point do you share what you're going through at what point do you have this conversation and is that something that you found difficult so i met my husband his name is sahil i met him through um, mutual friends in kane uh, there was a grand central tour that our good friends Zahir was doing in january 2020 and i came into into the city for that and basically after that went to kane and then after kane went out to this seesaw installation in midtown and I happened to be standing with a group of friends and he came over to our group. And just as he came over, it was our turn to go on the seesaws. And I didn't have a partner because there were three of us and, you know, the seesaws seat two and two on each side. And so he was the fourth. And basically we decided that we would sit together. And that's the the way we sort of struck up a connection because we started talking and basically continued to talk the rest of the night. And Um, He got my number and then, you know, eventually like asked me out a few times. um, And that's that's kind of the the way it began. It just was very, very much a chance meeting. So the conversation about breast cancer happened on day zero. 
I'm very much at this point open about my past. Um, during the time that I was going through it, I was very private for my own reasons because I, I wanted to deal with it on my own. But once I, once I ended those first six rounds of chemo, I decided that this is the time to open up about it. I had also made the decision to launch my business around that time or at least to work towards the launch. And at that point, I, I took full ownership over my story. And so I met him in January of 2020. At that point, if I didn't bring it up, he could immediately go on my Instagram and just see what the deal was. So I basically just kind of mentioned it. You know, what do you do for a living? Well, I have a company that I started through my own experiences with chemo. He has only ever been open and understanding and willing to listen and willing to learn, knowing that he doesn't necessarily always have the answers but you know having that presence of a supportive partner doesn't always mean having answers it can mean a lot of different things and um he's always been that since day one thank you for sharing your really sweet love story (laughs) so what does that support look like Uh, as you said you know listening wanting to learn wanting to be there in what ways can a partner support but not even just that your community your friends, um, you know, people you newly meet, how can they be kind of supportive or just like receptive? From my experience, cancer, and I'm sure this translates to a number of other health issues or life experiences, um, this can be a very isolating experience. So number one is I think it's very important to let someone know that they're not alone and that, you know, it's not necessarily that you are in the same boat as them, but that you're there for them as a life raft of they need you and doing so without judgment without expectation and with just sort of an open heart is very important a lot of women in our community feel very anxious about if i talk about this openly will people embrace me or will they turn their backs so that's very important and i i happen to find someone who was raised very well and you know he's he's a very like i mentioned he's very supportive and reassuring and um not judgmental at all and i think that has had such a revolutionary impact on my life because it it allows me to 100% exist in the space that I need to without feeling reservation which then allows me to of course do the things that I want to do which is my business which is my advocacy you know being open about this telling the story over and over again and I think you know I'll I'll say you know men and women both can learn from that and especially men I'll just put a punctuation on that would love to hear how you would advise other women to check themselves because we've talked about this you have no family history you were super young what advice do you have to other women and what would you tell them to to do and how to move forward so after listening to my story the topic of breast health may stir up a lot of different feelings inside of you and including fear and anxiety and tension and uncertainty and that's okay because that's kind of the point right we're all sort of healthy until we learn that we're not uh the point here is not to never learn that you're unhealthy the point is that you should be aware of your body and be on top of your health in a way that supports you having a long and healthy life and the number one way that i can recommend that you do that is through regular self breast exams um you should aim to do your breast exam at least monthly this is something that takes i would say under a minute you know, it's a very quick procedure and you can do it at home. You can do it in the shower. Um, and basically, you know, if you go to my Instagram, there's a number of reels that I've posted showing you how you can do a, a breast exam. I've done them in 
a kayak in Hawaii. I've done them walking on a lava field. I've done it in, you know, a fancy couture Indian outfit. So you can do it in any situation. Nothing should prevent you from doing it. Just basically, you know, lift your arm up and use, you know, your your fingers on your opposite side from your breast, uh, the hand that is opposite, and go in the circular motions, um, just feeling deeply for any changes, feeling for any abnormalities or anything that is different from what you know is normal for, for your body, any any sort of hardening or change in texture or um, any kind of secretion. And so that all starts by taking responsibility, not just doing your own breast exams, but also encouraging you know your your loved ones to do their own breast exams too. Uh, this is something that I did, you know, one random time I was taking a shower and it changed my life. And I'm sitting here with the best hope for, you know, a healthy future because I found my breast cancer early. I was diagnosed at stage one only because I had my self breast exam. Quick follow up. Would love for you to plug your Instagram so that people who are listening can find you. So you can find me. On Instagram, one is my personal account, which is nymannequin, spelled N-Y-M-A-N-N-E-Q-U-I-N. And my business account uh, for all things turban and, and hair positivity is at Stylesteem. So S-T-Y-L-E. E-S-T-E-E-M. First, thank you for sharing all that. I feel so much more informed. I will admit that I um, was not great about, you know, checking myself, but now I feel the urgency. I feel the importance and the necessity to do so. So thank you for bringing that to our audience and to us. So last question for you. Uh, do you think there is a stigma around breast health? Why so? And if there is, what can we do to break that or begin to break that. I do believe there's a stigma around breast health in our community in a way that there's stigma around a lot of things in our community. Um, And this sort of attitude, I think, is not very helpful to anyone, especially for something as important as breast health that everyone needs to be aware about. Talking about it is really the first step. And so I'm taking it upon myself to do what I can to break down the stigma. If other women know about it, and if they even talk about it amongst themselves, that's my goal. My goal has been accomplished. I don't need I don't need everyone to come and do a podcast about it. I don't need everyone to start an Instagram and, and start posting about this. I just need everyone to take care of their themselves. I think when you start this within your family, you know, when you start the conversation, uh, whether it's over a cup of chai or, you know, while watching a TV show, whatever it may be, I think that's when you you realize because you know, your mother, let's say, hearing from you that you're concerned and you want her to do her breast exam means a lot more than, you know, looking at a statistic from some organization on the internet. Um, And I can say that my mom does her breast exams regularly. I do my breast exams regularly. When it comes time, I know my sister will because I'll be on top of her head about it. And, you know, that's kind of that's kind of the way. I mean, there's so much strength and value within our family ties and our family connections and within our community. I think we just need to constantly talk about it because every year there's someone who, you know, is is of that age who is like moving up in age and they don't know that this is a thing. Great. Thank you so much. I know I speak for both of us when I say this has been incredibly enlightening and so inspirational and just wonderful. Um, to wrap up, is there anything that you want to add? Is there anything that we should have asked you but didn't or that you want to talk about now? 
So I think it's important to remember, and you can look at my story as an example, is that talking about cancer, dealing with cancer, uh, none of this can preclude you from living the life that you want, whether it's having a business, having the independence to break from your traditional path in life. If you want to get married, if you want to meet someone within the community, this is not going to stop you from that. Uh, This is just going to sort of allow you to understand who you truly are and come to terms with that. You know, it's turned out better than I could have imagined. And so I want you to just remember that that is something um, that is on the horizon for all of us. Amazing. Thank you for sharing that. Um, So now we get to do something fun called Rapid Fire. We're going to ask you 12 questions really quickly and you have 90 seconds to answer as many as we can get through. Dream travel destination? Maldives. Favorite app on your phone? Oh gosh, it's, I don't want to say Instagram, it's the one that I use the most, it's so bad. Yeah. Talking or texting? Talking. Favorite ice cream flavor? Mm, Sea salt caramel. What's the best piece of advice you've received? Choose your perspective. What's a word you use too much? Empowered. (laughs) Biggest pet peeve. Oh, goodness. Um, When the toilet seat is not put down. She's at her husband. Uh, Early bird or night owl? Night owl. Your go-to airport snack? Mm, Chick-fil-A. Milk or cereal first? Milk or cereal? Can we do milk cereal ice cream from 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 oh, milk? Okay. Yeah, cereal sure. milk. Yeah. yeah, let's take it in ice cream form. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. What song is your anthem? Uh, like a girl by Lizzo. Favorite childhood TV show? I used to love Shining Time Station. Sweet, oh, okay, amazing. Yeah. We well made it. Under the time. Oh my god, seventy-four seconds. No. Oh, I had time to spare. Thank you so much for listening. Please follow Sonia on Instagram and then follow Stylistim as well if you want to keep up with her journey there. We will continue posting throughout the month of October some resources from Sonia, how to self-examine. Yes, Sonia posts incredible content on her Instagram. Definitely give her a follow. It's so informative. Everything she talks about is so important. Remember to do your self-examinations, not just this month, but with regularity. We hope you liked the episode. We hope you enjoyed tuning back in after so long. And we are so thrilled that we could record this for you. Let us know your thoughts at Podvocative, and we'll catch you next time. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. 
I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.